So I think um, the topic that you that you suggested is an excellent one because it's around depression and adjustment. And I think we were going to, I think you suggested us thinking about it in the context of your recovery, particularly today, at least the early stages of your recovery, which would, would be a really nice way of approaching this because uh, of what we talked about last time. Yeah, does that does that sound good? Yeah, no, I'm 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 completely up for that. Yeah, like I think I think I can kind of uh, try and help people through the kind of stage that I've I've once experienced. And I'm no I'm no expert, but if I can help a couple of people through a hard time because I knew it was a hard time at the time, but obviously being obviously not so much past it, but further on in my recovery, looking back on it, I think I've done everything at the time correctly to help me recover better. Yeah, it sort of gets me to thinking about coping, which we can would probably think about today, which is that something awful happens um, and that generates this kind of response, which might include depression, um, which is really kind of quite normal. We have to say that, I guess, that depression is quite a normal state. Um, but of course, it can become problematic. And um, the issue then is about how we cope or how we, how you cope how you coped back then and to some extent how you're coping now but yeah how do you think you did cope back then I mean because that the, the um it's a long time ago no well know. like reflecting kind of back on sort of like my my early stages of recovery I think when I when I first woke up kind of out of my coma I don't think I quite understood or realized what I was kind of going through. And I think I had, I think I had quite a lot of anxiety and depression at the time, but it's not, it's not until kind of now and understanding what I was feeling and what I was going through. Am I, am I able to then label it as, as a type of depression and sort of like low moods that I was in, like I say, because, because when I woke up with a brain injury that I've got, obviously that, that was my first, first day in the classroom. I've never had a brain injury before. I've never spoke about brain injury before. I didn't know what a brain injury was, what it involved blah 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 but like I say being able to kind of like be where I am today and look back on where I was and where I started obviously my recovery path um I think I was I think I was more depressed than kind of what I let on but I didn't realize I was I was suffering with depression okay now that's a really interesting observation and do you think that you were conscious of that do you think that because you said that you feel that you were maybe more depressed than you let on um do you think that was because you felt that you couldn't um maybe it was about protecting other people or um and protecting yourself from the reality of what had happened because what had happened had been so so massive so life-changing that's a bit of a cliche isn't it but do you know what yeah. I mean? but no I don't know it's, it's it's kind of hard to explain to be fair Richard obviously because I was quite a kind of go happy young lad kind of thing I had kind of a lot of things going for me I was very physically fit I had a lovely family and friends around me kind of I was I was quite kind of happy but then to kind of like to not remember what happened and wake up in hospital and realize that well not not so much realized but to be told that kind of all that all that is gone and could be something that's in like in the history and, and may may never come back or or could come back if you if you kind of fight to regain it and even then if you fight to regain it it might not come back fully so I think I think trying to take all that in and realize kind of what had happened to me and where I was and kind of what was going on I think 
I think confusion was probably a big word that I was struggling with, but I think because of the confusion that was causing that was causing some sort of depression because obviously I didn't know what was going to happen in an hour. I didn't know what was going to happen tomorrow morning when I woke up. I didn't know what was going to happen this time next week kind of thing. It was it was quite a scary kind of overwhelming time and I think I think like I say not being able to know at the time I think I was I was suffering probably with quite a high high amount of depression but not not because I didn't really know what depression was like it was hard for me to kind of label it and 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 then ask for help because like I'd never been depressed before to be fair yeah so it, what maybe what you're describing there Alan is um feelings that were unfamiliar yeah, no, 100% definitely. Yeah, definitely. I, th- I think like a mixture because obviously there was so much that I was trying to do. I was trying to understand like what happened to me, where I was, what was going on, blah, 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 blah. Like, like it was all, there was sort of like four or five books that was being thrown at me kind of thing. And, and like I couldn't read them all kind of thing. And I couldn't digest what was going on. So I think, so I think as well as, as well as like a lot of confusion, I think the confusion was causing like more depression than, than kind of what I let on, but then also what I, was feeling and understood, if you see what I mean. Yeah, and I was thinking as you were talking, Alan, that one of the unique, well, I think this anyway, one of the unique things about brain injury compared to other types of significant injuries that people might experience is that the um, the equipment that you that you would obviously use to process the information and to think about what's happened has actually kind of been affected. Whereas if you obviously have an injury to your leg or your back or whatever, that obviously that might be quite significant and life-changing, but you still have a, a brain that is kind of able to process that to some degree normally. That's a, that's a simplification, but I think it's trying to draw a comparison between what's maybe unique or trying to highlight what's unique about brain injury compared to other types of injuries and the confusion that you you describe from that period, I, I would suggest maybe to some degree about the effect of the injury on your brain um, and how kind of how that's kind of all maybe your reality is a bit scrambled. Yeah, I, I can kind of agree with that. Like you're saying, because like because I was young anyway, like I think so I hadn't. I hadn't been able to experience as much as like I have now being an older guy kind of thing. So like you're saying, like I didn't know nothing about brain injuries and like I said, I didn't know nothing about like depression or kind of what it felt like to feel low or, or unable to do things. Obviously I'd had injuries like you're saying, but I had, I had what was what you would kind of consider a healthy brain back then. So I knew that in a week or two's time, the, the cut on my knee or the, the broken toe or the, the, the broken kind of like bone in your calf and leg and blah, 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 it would repair, like I say, because my brain hadn't really been scrambled or affected and I was able to understand and digest that. But then like you're saying, because I had quite a big knock to the brain and a few of the parts of the brain that obviously is like being able to sort of like problem solve and understand what happened and then like to be able to plan what's going to, go on in the future all because all that had kind of been scrambled with it that it makes it makes that process a little bit then harder to be able to sort of like problem solve and to figure out what's going to happen and when it when it might happen yeah yeah i think that's a really good way of describing it Alan. and also maybe what you introduced there was that thing about your age that um that possibly uh the age of injury is quite well we know the age of injury is quite important in terms of how we understand it and process it um 
do you think that the I'm just thinking about what that might mean for people who are maybe older and have an injury so the implication of what you're saying Alan is that they might have more experience to draw upon like they might be able to understand it a bit better although it may still be very confusing and overwhelming for them yeah so like our kind of previous like I said in our in our previous uh, talk uh, Richard like I think being younger obviously I was still I was still kind of like mentally developing in, in like all areas so like my intelligence my, my, my problem solving my um my sort of my planning my processing all that all that was still kind of coming together because I was I was kind of not quite an adult just yet and kind of not past like my teens I was I mean like I was just just starting my teens kind of things so like I said I was quite young so my brain really was still developing and kind of gaining skills in those areas so I think I think I was lucky obviously I'm unlucky to have the accident but I think I was lucky at the age that I had it because obviously my my brain was still finding tools into problem solve and sort of like planning and blah 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 so even though it had been sort of like damaged because it hadn't been because it wasn't built then damaged I think I think my brain was able to kind of cope with it just slightly better whereas if I think I had an accident now and like you're saying because I've had all that life experience before and I've kind of learned how to do things previously I think I think my body would kind of be a little bit confused in the sense of that's how I used to do it when I was when I was healthy and when I was fully able but now I might have a disability or a, a bigger bigger break in the brain that's causing something to kind of not quite align up and the wires not quite there to meet each other. I think I think I would have found it harder to relearn something that I've already learned before. Yeah, yeah, like it was really interesting listening to you talk about that, and um, because I think um, there are probably two schools of thought. One is that younger brains are more adaptable. And I think that's kind of what you're alluding to is that you were your um you still had more potential to find different ways of doing things. Whereas if you had been older, you'd maybe have got into certain habits or your brain would have um already developed kind of certain patterns. So that's one way of looking at it. The other is that um for people who have their brain injuries when they're younger, that it can be harder in other ways because they still, for example, they might still be going through education or they're still trying to, um, I suppose, develop um, adult relationships, um, gain independence from family, those kind of things. So there's still quite big developmental steps that they're trying to complete. And they're, they're having to do that now in the context of quite a significant life change. So there are two schools of thought, but I think your comments there are really, um, are really interesting, Alan. I was just thinking as well about this idea of loss, um, which you alluded to a bit earlier, which is, I think, as psychologists, we think about depression and loss as being very interconnected, um, that people who are depressed can often be sort of seen as grieving a loss. And I wonder if that idea makes sense to you in relation to those early stages of your um of recovering from your injury yeah so i think i think i can kind of relate a little bit back to you in saying that yeah i guess i guess depression might follow more often than not when when you lose a loved one or you lose an ability to do something or you lose lose a part of your body like an arm a leg like something like that but 
I think I think as well it it can worsen if you if you don't have the full understanding of what what it is you're kind of going through or what it is that has changed or what it is that has that made you feel different I think I think you can get the, the right people around you and to explain it to you in whatever way you need it to be explained and shown to you so you can understand fully like where where your depression is coming from I think it's easier then to, to nip it in the butt than it is to try and like recover in your in your own time in your in your own self because like you you'll ask yourself questions that you might never find the answers to or you'll go on Google and look at like the most ridiculous kind of like um like conclusions that is not even close to what you're going through or what you're you're possibly feeling. So I think I think depression if you get caught in the wrong slide can lead you to a to to a wrong ending. But I think if you can have the right support around you and, and, and the right people that know who you are and kind of what you're feeling i think i think coming out of depression can be easier easier done than 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 if you try and kind of like get through depression on your on your own i think i think fighting depression on your own is 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 always going to be a losing battle yeah and 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 within that alan i think the um the really important bit that i took from that was about uh kind of what kind of helps and what helps you, which may have involved other people. So there's, a, you know, that idea that no man is an island and um, we're social animals, aren't we? So what you're saying is that you couldn't have done this on your own. And obviously your family and your friends and maybe professionals formed this network do you think that's kind of one way of looking at it, that each of them brought a different kind of perspective to this and maybe helped you in different ways? Yeah, so kind of how, how I can kind of relate back is is like what I was kind of going through was was a bit like a breakfast bowl. So I kind of woke up with this with this brain injury and I saw like a lot of lost half my eyesight and I could only use kind of half my body so like, like promptly. Uh, but then having all these experts that were explaining, okay, right, this is what's happened like this part of the brain has been damaged, so this this could cause this problem, or this could cause this issue, or this in the future could 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 worsen, could 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 actually get better if you do this. It could increase the recovery and blah blah blah. Because like I say, when when I woke up out of the coma with a brain injury, like I say that that was that was the first day of my school lesson because like I didn't know anything about a brain injury until I acquired one. So not 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 as well as I'm waking up having all these kind of disabilities but I'm, I'm waking up to a, quite, an, quite an overwhelming feeling of, of not really knowing anything about what it is I've got or how long I'm going to live for or what what the percentage is of of recovery or or anything like that you know like it, it was really quite confusing which which is why I think it caused a bit of my depression because it was the it was kind of walking in the dark and not knowing what was kind of in front of you sort of thing but having all these kind of experts around me, so having like physiotherapists who are obviously experts in the physical field and having psychologists who are obviously experts in like the mind and sort of like concentration and how you plan and problem solve. And I had all these kind of experts and I had like psychiatrists who were kind of like helping me with medication and understanding what it could do and what it should do and how it could help. Like I think, and then obviously from the parents, obviously the parents knowing who I was kind of before the car accident and kind of what, what my strengths and weaknesses were so they 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 knew where to push me they knew where they needed to be to help me kind of like not fall and like having having all these people around me like I, I think if I didn't have them around me I wouldn't be kind of where I am sat today I don't think I'd be as 
as well recovered as I have. And I'm not saying that I'm perfect and I don't have any therapy now because I still do and it still remains. And and I hope it to see that be there to the to the foreseeable future. I'm, I'm not ever going to shy away because everything that I've had input wise has got me where I am today. Yeah, maybe the important thing there is about the uh, continuity of that, that that maybe for some people I'm thinking about how things have been how things have changed over time as well and where people might live, that their access to resources and support, certainly professional support, might be very variable, um, which then may load more on their family or on other kind of things, other um services too. I'm thinking about uh, voluntary services like Headway and other things too, that there are all these kind of different bits of the jigsaw and some people may have more of them than others. You know what you were saying, and it was about uncertainty because I was thinking about grief. And again, this is possibly one of the you know, kind of unique things about brain injury is that what certainly what other people can report, maybe relatives and friends, is that they've kind of lost the person, but the person's still there. And that obviously is different for the individual who's had the injury. Um, but what you're describing there is this kind of, particularly in those early stages, quite a lot of uncertainty about what not just what had happened to you, but what was going to happen and whether or not you would recover in certain ways, whether you would improve or what you'd be left with. And I think that's a massive thing. And for people at the early stages of injury, because it's almost as if doctors sometimes can't provide certainty or they can't tell you. And you can go onto Google, as you say, you can go onto the internet. And you're able to find some of the answers and some information, but you don't know what that's going to mean for yourself. Is that kind of, am I sort of, um, does that make sense to you? Yeah, no, no. I was just, I was just digesting kind of what you said there to kind of like give a, uh, like a quality response back. And I, I think that, I think within brain injuries, with kind of what I know and friends who I know who have brain injuries and the people that I met in rehab, um, I, I think when it comes to brain injuries, I like, I don't think there is ever a point where you could say you are or you're recovered or you're you're over it and you're you're past it kind of thing. I think. I think with a brain injury, because because it damages the brain, that obviously works every day. It doesn't really sleep. It's obviously continuously. It's always changing. It's always kind of like improving. It's always kind of like going through different states. I think with with a brain injury, it's not so much part, a point of where you become recovered. It's it's more of a point of when you get to a point that you can kind of live with who you are today and 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 the changes that that you've kind of gone through you can kind of live with and the things that you still are weak on or are damaged or or don't work quite as well you you manage you manage on how to deal with that and how to how to work with it kind of thing rather than against it i think i think what i'm trying to say is you kind of learn to live with a brain injury rather than you learn to kind of get rid of the brain injury because like whether you like it or not it's, it's always your brain is always going to be partly damaged like say it might repair itself to 99.9% but there's always going to be that one percent of it's still damaged and it can't be fixed completely, which is which is, you just have to accept kind of thing. But I think as you as you go further down the recovery line, 
I think it becomes less of a problem, something that you just kind of learn to kind of live with and learn to live side by side with. And again, so like, because I was quite young, when when I kind of had my injury, and I hadn't kind of learned how to live on my own and how to cook dinners and clean houses and blah, 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 as much as I did like a little bit at home with mum and dad, of course, but mum would obviously clean the house because it's their house kind of better. Obviously, so because I was young, I was kind of learning all those things that I would have learned if I was a bit older when I had the car accident. But because I was younger, obviously I was learning all these kind of like tricks and skills and sort of stuff like that before I'd learned them before, if you know what I mean, because I was growing through the age with the brain injury and not having a brain injury after I'd kind of gone through that development. Yeah, I think you've described that beautifully. And I think the that idea of sort of growing up with a brain injury, developing with a brain injury, also that idea that, you never fully recovered, which I think is a really interesting one. It's almost as if this process is ongoing, isn't it? And as life changes, your life changes, uh, you're you're faced with different challenges. And some of they, those may be related to the effects of your brain injury. Some of those may not be. And it's sort of trying to sort of piece mm-hmm. all that together, isn't it? I was some... Um, I might have told you this before, and so I apologise if it's repeating myself, but there was a, a video of an interview with Richard Hammond, who was the guy off Top Gear, and uh, after his brain injury, and it was a couple of years on, I think, from his brain injury, and he was saying, because of course he went back to work very early and he went on the television because that's his work, so he could look back and see himself at various stages during those kind of early stages of his recovery. And he said each time he looked at it, he thought, at that point in time, I thought I'd recovered, but I hadn't. And then six months later, he'd sort of watch something for six months later, and he'd say, I th- yeah, and by then I certainly thought I'd recovered, but I hadn't. So by looking back and seeing himself, he could see that that process, like you are describing, it's just continuous. That just carries on, doesn't it? And you're recovering all of the time. Yeah. So it's like people with brain injuries can't can't really kind of shut themselves in like a separate playground or a separate room to everyone else in the world because we're, we're all human beings. We all have like we all suffer with de- depression, whether we want to admit it or not. We all have sort of like things that we're not so good at, and things that we're amazing at, and things that we just bog standard average on kind of thing so everyone goes through different changes obviously people with brain injuries might go through a bit more of a complex kind of like change and stuff like that but like when it comes to relationships no one's perfect at relationship not everyone's casting over and kind of is like the best looking has the best best personality or has the best chat lines like everyone is different and everyone struggles with something and everyone struggles with something in different areas so because because you have a brain injury and if you have the right support around you and the right team that can guide you. I think someone with a brain injury can kind of go through life probably that little bit more um, advanced than someone who hasn't got the support around them because you're able to kind of get like two or three people's different opinions and it's not it's not ever biased because these are experts that you're asking. So they'll give you kind of what's seen as um, the better kind of like opinion. And... Um, I think I think again, like with a brain injury and sort of like being able to like suffer with like the the changes and stuff like that, it's 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 not a failure. Like, and, and if it t- if it takes you ten years to kind of like 
recover or, or or feel better than when you had your first injury then then it takes 10 years like 10 years is a long time but at the same time a lot can happen in 10 years and and everyone kind of like recovers and becomes who they are at different stages in their life some people some people sort of like find a partner when they're 17 and married and that by their 18 and having children and kids by their 19 some people don't do it till they're like late 30s 40s some people do it in between so everyone's everyone's story and everyone's path is always different if we were all the same life would be so boring so you, you can't kind of get in that depression state of saying oh my mate jack is kind of doing this and he's married at that age and you know, my mate james is doing this and that at this age like everyone has their own life everyone has their own path everyone has their own destiny so you can't always reflect your own life and someone else's life because that's their problem that's their issue that's their that's their path they're walking on. So to kind of help yourself get past depression, so not only kind of like focus on what it is that's causing depression, depression is you've got to focus on yourself and and concentrate on yourself more than you have other people because you're worse in the depression state if you if you look in other people's kind of like breakfast bowls too much. Yeah, I think that's a really compassionate way of thinking about it. And it's this idea that we can't judge. Um, we can't judge these kinds of issues can we there was that famous quote i think it was uh ian mclaren and he said something like be kind everyone you meet is fighting a hard battle this idea that we're all we're all struggling with various things in our life life is complicated life is hard um and brain injury of, of course is a is a particular and unique and for many people massive challenge isn't it um and and comparing yourself with others is probably quite unhelpful isn't it i think it can be very unhelpful but is would you say almost inevitable i think we we all do that don't we and think about social media and that social media probably forces us to do that even without thinking about it yeah and you kind of said it just as i was kind of thinking in my head there that, that social media is probably the worst depression that was ever invented because everyone's always posting like in bikinis on holiday and doing this and doing that and kind of like always it's social media is just kind of like a kind of hidden way into kind of show off and what you've got and what, what no one else like could have sort of thing and like there's there's right and wrong ways in using social media and kind of how and what you should post and stuff like that. But kind of like forgetting about like social media and sort of like bringing it back to myself, like for myself, like I say, when I first woke up out of my coma, I was, I was pretty depressed, but I didn't notice it because of like, say, understanding what I was kind of going through and who I was as a person and what I could do that I've been told I can't do or may never do again or stuff like that. And then obviously as, as time went on, obviously I then had to kind of like, I'm quite a family kind of guy and my family are very close and everything. So like I was being told that I was going to have to go away to kind of get better. So I was, I was traveling up to Surrey to um, obviously spend my week Monday to Friday at a place called Banstead, um, which was, was helping me to kind of recover. And I was at a young age where I'm being, I'm being ripped away from my parents, which, which I hated because I'd never been away from my parents for that kind of long a time before. And and I was, I was kind of I was I was being put with other people who were kind of in a similar predicament. And I'm not saying this in a negative or 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 sort of like a a disadvantaged way. But what I'm trying to say is, for me at that time, that was a lot to cope with. So I was being sent away to kind of get better for something that wasn't my fault that I that, that I'm injured or that I had the reason that I needed to get better from. 
So, like, for me, depression then was probably at its highest and my parents used to come up halfway through the week to help me kind of get through it and then obviously come up at the end of the week to take me home. But but those those two or three days away, like, I was very, like, suicidal. I was very depressed and low because I didn't know when I was going to see my mum or dad again, like, and not knowing kind of what I was, if I was going to die while away. Like, it was, it was, it was massively confusing and... And I think whilst at rehab was probably my my highest point of depression in in the recovery that I've that I've had to go through over these last years. I, mean, I was just thinking about that as a sort of a paradox there, isn't there? That the because what you were saying was that family were hugely important, probably critical to your support network, yet you had to go away from them in order to get that rehab. And that's a really interesting point, isn't it? Because for things like adjustment and depression, particularly in the early stages, um, the things that help people cope may not always be available or may not be accessible. And, yeah, how, how did you cope with that, do you think? Because it sounds like maybe family coming up was part of that and having regular contact, maintaining contact. But were there other things helpful too? Uh, well, I think I think because I was young again and obviously I was trying to adapt to having a brain injury and not kind of being as, as clued up as I am now sort of thing, I think I think I was kind of going through quite a quite a difficult patch in the sense that I had a, a mobile phone that I saw I wasn't 100% uh, knowledgeable on how to use and stuff like that. So it's like FaceTime and all that wasn't as advanced as what it is now kind of thing. And obviously, like, I'm away from the parents that so, like, I couldn't kind of go back to mom and dad for reassurance and I couldn't phone up friends just to find out what I'm kind of going through. Is it right? And like I say there's other people that have a similar injury. So we're not slagging anyone off or putting anyone down, but we're all kind of in the same boat. So no one kind of really had the right, the right answer or the, or the sensible answer to kind of calm me down and stop me from feeling like overwhelmed. Um, but I think like now being able to kind of help with depression, like, because I'm kind of fully aware of how to use an iPhone now and I know that all the kind of characteristics from an iPhone that you can write notes which can kind of help you get it off your chest. And some people might think, oh, that's that's just a load of rubbish. We can all write in a book or put it in an iPhone, but that doesn't like solve the depression. But I think I'd like to challenge that. I think I think noting it down to be able to talk to the right person at the right time, I think for me, plays a massive, massive effect and does like a lot for me and I think if other people try it and give it that that chance that I think it could work for them but it's about trying to understand where you fall short understand where you can kind of help yourself and understand so like how you can kind of help your own recovery which we all want to do with a brain injury but it's about being un- it's, it's, it's being able to understand who you are as a person and how you can help yourself forward yeah and one of the things that you've done i think which uh many people do but they often don't sustain it and i think you've done it really well is with this with the support of your um support worker is to continue to do almost sort of daily logs and just reflecting on kind of what's happening because sometimes that can get away from us i always think and if we stop doing it then we stop noticing and obviously having someone else to reflect on that with, um, like your support worker, that's, I think, really important. And maybe that's what you're alluding to. And that's kind of been a strategy, maybe a coping strategy 
that has um that you've maintained and i think that's really really um really positive yeah and then just kind of like elaborating on that so like richard i think i think for me in the earlier days i was very sort of resistant and i pushed a lot of kind of help away not not really kind of knowing in the future kind of what it would do for me or what it would bring kind of thing because I'm, I'm generally i used to be a kind of guy that I just kind of what i kind of get over something or kind of recover on my own and if you leave me long enough this this issue might just sort of like disappear but what i kind of know now and i wish i knew back then if if you don't attack an issue or if you don't attack a problem it won't ever go and it'll only get worse and worse and worse and then you'll overthink it which can then heighten the depression and cause more anxiety and more depression which is then a vicious circle that you kind of get into which can then in the long run maybe do a lot worse to yourself and have a lot more bigger effect in the future so like kind of what i do now like you like you just um, mentioned there richard obviously with a support worker that i've had for 13 years and, and over now kind of thing who knows me near enough as good as my sister and near enough as good as my mum and dad um so she calls me in the evening and I kind of give her a rating from one to 10. Obviously 10 being I'm kind of feeling in a pretty good mood that, that nothing else could happen. So like, so you need a kind of a good reason to be a 10 and obviously one being so like I'm I'm ready to sort of like hang myself or like I'm feeling de- very depressed and there's, I need a lot of kind of like help and sort of like change to make me feel a lot better. Um, so generally on most days is a five and some people think, oh, five, that's just mid-range. But but if you if you use what we call the mood diary in the right way, like you were kind of recently saying about Richard Hammond from Top Gear, he can look back at a video and see kind of how his recovery is going. But if you look back at a book with a score between one and 10, you see on certain days when you're doing something, you're an eight, you're a nine. On on other days when you're doing something that you don't like or you're not as good at, is it like a one, two or three? Then, Then you kind of learn to kind of like control your own life and plan your own events that you know is going to keep you in the in the high end of the five to ten rather than the low end, the one to five. So I think if you can find yourself someone who's close enough to you and who knows you well enough, so when you do what I do with my support worker that we called the mood diary. So if you bring something up and the person that knows you well um, can talk to you and discuss you about it. So for example, if I said I'm a ten. My sport worker say, oh, so why are you attending today? I don't know, what, what is it that you've done that's kind of made you feel that good? And you can discuss what it is I have done or what it is that happened in that day. And and then she might turn around and say, like, yeah, okay, I, I don't mind having that 10. Or should we drop that just to a nine? So when you look back at it in six months' time, it, it's, a, it's, a more honest, it's a more honest kind of, like, score than just because you're kind of, like, you've had an exciting day for half the day, you've said a 10. It's not giving you a full... It's not giving you a full outlook on, on how that day really was. So I think if you're going to do something like that to help you in your own recovery so you can look back at kind of where you were and what you were doing and what was making you happy and what was making you sadder, um, then I think you're kind of like you're going to ruin your own recovery because you can't reflect in a in an honest honest approach. Yeah, it's having something that makes sense to you, isn't it? And I think um, I always think about these things and, and mood as being a bit like the British weather it is it's always changing isn't it is that it can be sunny in the morning and then I'm pouring with rain in the afternoon um, and our mood is a bit like that we can kind of and it can sometimes change quite quickly um, so even in the course of a day and with your daily recordings that's an interesting point and even in the course of uh, one day 
you could go through a series of different sort of emotional states um, or lots. And capturing that in a single score is sometimes quite difficult. But the fact that you're able to do that with your support work at the end of the day, I think is um, a really important resource. Now, I don't know, I'm very aware that, and I'm quite quite proud actually, that we've got to this point in the discussion about depression without thinking about medication, because I think often that's for many people that's the first person that's the first thing that they'll think about whereas we've not even touched upon it yet but I just wanted to ask you about it because particularly in relation to those early stages of your recovery because I know that you use medication now and that's been very helpful but I just wondered about it in earlier stages of your recovery and whether you could reflect on that yeah, so again, obviously, like I repeated a couple of times in, in this discussion that we're having here, that because, because I was at such a young age and I wasn't really one for taking medication unless I was like generally ill or had something kind of wrong with me, I think I think kind of waking up out of the coma and again, not really knowing what it is a brain injury is or what it's going to involve. And again, obviously, like if I leave it long enough, the, the injury that whatever it is I've got disappears and heals itself. I think. I think it took me quite a long time to actually realise and probably be honest with myself and and kind of accept medication. Um, and I tried many ways to kind of get through the issues and the problems that I was having without medication. But I think in my in my own recovery and with my own experts helping me, I think I got to a point where everything that I was trying wasn't really working so when when the expert obviously first brought it up with me and he said like I'd like to try you on this medication just to see kind of how it goes and again like I say my immediate answer was no I'm, I'm not interested I don't need medication I'll, I'll get through this myself he kind of gave me he gave me that little bit of leeway and kind of gave me that chance to kind of prove to him that I could do it without medication but we found we found quite rapidly that that trying it without medication is probably going to be more of a a negative effect than than the positive effect that I'm looking for. So he says, "Well, how about we just trial it? We go at the highest, and then we kind of bring it down to what we find is kind of adequate for you." And I was like, "Okay, that that's that's a reasonable kind of like compromise. I'll, I'll give that a shot." So obviously, I started the medication that he prescribed on me, and like I say, it was at the highest, but that was only because we needed it to do what it's designed to do, which it did. And I was I was quite overwhelmed on how it made me feel and on how how different it made me approach things and, and sort of come at different kind of like issues and sort of like predicaments. But then obviously it was lowered and it was lowered and it was lowered. And then we found that some of those issues that I was having before starting the medication were slowly creeping back in. So what we then discussed is, is maybe upping it a little bit. So I'd gone to the highest and then I'd come back, I'd come back down to kind of what I would see is my lowest on the medication and then because these kind of issues, like I say, were creeping back in, we then slowly started increasing it to find out where it was that my body could not only cope with, but then my body could kind of use that medication to kind of help recover my own problems, which we which we, we quite quickly did. And, um, yeah, like you say, I've, I've been on medication for just coming up to two years. Um, and I don't think – well, it's not that I don't think. I wouldn't ever go back to kind of not being medicated because – medication is not a bad sign or it's a sign that you're failing or you're not doing well in life we all need medication at different times in our life and in most times when we're young and we have medication it only recovers you so i'm not saying this medication is going to recover me but it helps me become 
and be able to be as good as I am now. It's almost that idea of using what's available um, and help comes in different forms. And I always believe that, as you were saying, though, which I think is really important, is that it can maybe be helpful at different times, that what what you found helpful at one time maybe would be less helpful during another kind of phase of your kind of adjustment. And also it's not kind of for everyone. So again, that's a kind of very compassionate, very um, very flexible way of looking at it. And isn't it that uh, help I think is um, unique to that kind of individual. And certainly the work that I do suggests that medication might not help everyone and some people may find that really difficult for others it's really critical it's a central part of their help network really and without it they would they would find life really really difficult so everyone is is kind of um everyone is very different in respect of that Alan as ever it's been incredibly insightful to and speak with you today i think it's interesting because i've known you quite a long time but each time we have these conversations now i learn something different so um i do hope that other people um can also take i'm sure they will um take kind of really valuable points from the reflections that you've made today and, and maybe we can um i'm sure we will catch up again soon yeah, no, I want to thank you, obviously, uh, with these these chats and conversations with you, Richard. I, I feel it helps me because, like I say, I'm, I'm quite a big helper and I believe that helping other people understand and maybe cope with what I've been through and what I'm currently still going through. If I can if I can help one person for every meeting I have, I've done, I feel I've done my job. I've done my job and kind of I can kind of live happy. So I want to thank you again, Richard, and uh, I look forward to speaking to you again soon. Oh, it's a pleasure, Alan. Thank you and we'll speak soon.